there's an old saying, right, about, you know, the easiest time to fire somebody is before you hire them. The very first thing we have to look at is culture. They could be the most talented individual in whatever role we're looking for. But if there's a twinge of ego or arrogance, something that goes against the grain of our culture, it's an immediate non-starter. It's, we're, we're not even going to discuss it and say, well, but they're really good at this. They're really good at that. It would really enhance the team's capabilities. Yeah, but that's a cancer we would let right in the front door and erode what we've spent so much time and effort building. Welcome to episode 44 of The Future of Work, the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future. It's brought to you by Wonder for their blog, Chaos and Rocket Fuel. We release two podcasts a month featuring industry experts and thought leaders discussing how work is changing and evolving. The future of work is now. I'm Doug Folks, and this week with Wonder CEO Claire Haydar, we catch up with Mark Rafenrath, one of the original founders and the current CEO of Spinutech. Spinutech has grown from a university dorm startup over 20 years ago to a multinational digital agency with 170 team members. Mark is passionate about culture and believes it has been and continues to be essential not only to Spinutech's success, but the success of their clients as well. As the CEO of Spinutech, Mark's focus is building partnerships and solving problems. He gets better every day by learning from his team members, listening to a lot of podcasts and consuming 30 to 40 articles and blog posts a week. Mark is a family man and he enjoys golfing and travel. Uh, that's when he's got some time. In this culture-based conversation, we will discover the three pillars Mark has built his culture on and why. How to align your organization using culture and how to bring it back if the culture is fractured. And what Mark has learned as a leader after 20 years of building and running his own business. But first, let's find out what Spinutech does and how they do it differently to other digital agencies. Mark, welcome to the podcast. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And thanks for having me. It's an it's absolute pleasure. Looking forward to the next hour. I'd like to start by just getting everyone on the same page. A president of and co-founder of Spinutech, you're a digital agency. You're working in a very crowded space. In your words, just tell me what make, what does your company do differently from every other digital agency out there? It's a good question. You know, when you try to differentiate between agencies, oftentimes that's hard. Like nobody can name who the best is. There's no, you know, clear winner in that category. And so I think that you take it back to basics. And one of the sayings we have is that we do the things that a lot of agencies say they do, but we actually do them. And that means there's a very open-ended part of that, but it's the way that we deliver, the way that we do reporting, the depths at which we go, I think we just operate at a more sophisticated level than a lot of agencies. And we truly partner, which is a little bit cliche. A lot of people say that, but we do really dig in and want to understand the business and get to know it so that we can make more meaningful strategies and, and, and deliver upon those. So that partnership needs to be both ways. And I think it, that partnership also starts with our team members. If we have a good partnership there, then that's going to create a good opportunity for a partnership with our clients as well. So that's a that's a, a quick answer. Obviously, there's potential a lot of layers we could go deeper there, but uh, that would be my initial spot. Great. Thanks for setting us on the, the right track. Claire. Staying with Spinutech for a second, 
and pretty much diving right into the core of what this entire conversation is going to be about. You're somebody who values culture massively. You guys have defined your culture through three words, collaboration, caring, and family. What I'd love to hear from you is why those three and how did you guys go about choosing or finding or discovering those three specifically? Yeah, so this has been an evolution. You know, I think a culture has to be looked at as a living and breathing thing and it evolves over time. You know, when you're a 25 person agency versus 50 versus 100 versus 170 plus, those things have to change and intentionality has to become even stronger on what you pour into that. And so this is something that, you know, evolves and, and, and I, I'm a big believer in words matter. And so uh, recently we went through a merger and it was an opportunity to review all that. And so we redefined our core values and our, our mission and, and really hung on to some of those words. And so I think that's just naturally who we are. And it's not like we're aspiring to be those things. It's, it's really defining what exists, which I think a lot of people start with trying to set a target for their culture that they want to get to, as opposed to looking at where they're at and then evolving from there. And so um, I really think that's just a description of, of who we are and, and how we operate and how the team feels about it, as opposed to an aspirational goal. I like that a lot. Culture is a very big thing to us. One of the main lenses that Tracy and I look at culture through is very much through a behavioral lens. So like, what are our collective behaviors, you know, that that make us who we are as a company? And as you say, that's always evolving because as people come and as people exit, those collective behaviors take on different shapes and sizes and nuances. So I'm going to dive right into one of the biggest challenges that we as a company face. And I know we're not alone in that almost every single CEO and operational leader that I speak to struggles with this. And that's getting new hires aligned to that culture. It's one of the most important, but also one of the hardest things to do. So can you get really practical with us and actually share with us what you guys do at Spinutech? Yeah. So there's an old saying, right, about, you know, the easiest time to fire somebody is before you hire them. And if you're going to practice what you preach with culture, then the very first thing we have to look at is culture. They could be the most talented individual in whatever role we're looking for. But if there's a twinge of ego or arrogance, something that goes against the grain of our culture, it's an immediate non-starter. It's, we're not even going to discuss it and say, well, but they're really good at this. They're really good at that. It would really enhance the team's capabilities. Yeah, but that's a cancer we would let right in the front door and erode what we've spent so much time and effort building upon. So it really starts with the very first team member interviews. We have a pretty good process where we run them through multiple phases. It eventually actually gets to myself. The only reason I'm talking to that candidate as a finalist is to do a cultural checkoff to just make sure that my gut check on it is really spot on. And then to also let them ask me questions, because again, that partnership starts with each team member. And so we have to take that seriously to make sure that they're all in as well. I don't want somebody that's just saying, oh, I'm looking for my next move, you know, and this feels okay. Well, but does it feel perfect? Are you really all in on this? And, and that mindset then sinks into the culture. Now, the first 100 days, is super critical for every new team member. My goal for a new team member at the end of day one, somebody's going to ask them, how was your first day of your new job? It's going to be their spouse, a parent, a friend, a roommate. Somebody's going to ask that question inevitably. 
I want that answer to be, oh my goodness, you would not believe the first day I just had. I want to blow them out of the water because that's going to set the tone. And, and in that first 100 days, what are we intentionally doing to get that DNA injected into them of our culture as quickly as possible? So we've got a pretty good roadmap for that, that technically it starts throughout the interview process and then weaves into that first 100 days. And then it works into a long-term, you know, keeping that individual ingrained in the team. So there's a lot of intentionality behind it, but I think the biggest thing that you're asking is it starts with literally, you know, the first communication when they're applying for the job and make sure that they're aligned culturally. If they're not, we just, it's a non-starter. Okay. So just to clarify, you're basically saying that the very first interview that you have in that process of sequence of, of interviews is a culture interview. Yeah, the screening call is really just making sure that there's alignment on the culture mainly. And then they'll go into some other stuff about the role, but really it's that culture check and making sure that there's no red flag. So year to date for 2021, I think it's 0.06% of applicants actually get hired. And that sounds crazy, but that's how cautious we are to make sure that we're hiring the right individual who our team needs on all levels. Mark, as always, Claire loves to dig deep straight away in these podcasts. I'm very much the layman and I like to pull it back to basics very often. We've spoken about the spin your text culture and what you're doing there, but as a founder of a company, just tell me what is company culture? What makes it and, and what can break it? Well, the, the people make it. And so what are those core pillars that, that you're going to focus on that, that then allow from there a little bit of variance? And, and so you know, I think diversity and backgrounds and experiences are critical to a healthy culture. And you have to be okay with healthy conflict and constant feedback. So you'll see on our website, and if you hear me talk, you're going to hear me say, get better every day. Get better every day is really the fundamental thing to everything that we do. And, and so we need lifelong learners and people that are willing to push and challenge each other. The biggest thing about that that's uncomfortable for everybody, and I'll use a sporting analogy here, if on the first game of the year, let's use the NBA season, for example, you know, 80 plus games, right? They make playoffs even more. Does the coach, when they see a player do something wrong game one, write it down and say, oh, I'm going to talk to them about that at the end of the year so that we can get better next year. And do the players look at that and go, oh, I'm not going to say anything. He, he didn't know the play or she didn't know the play. I'm going to let that slide until, you know, practice or whatever. No, it's, it's immediate and constant feedback. And that starts with the coach, as well as the players, the team members, right? Everybody has to be upholding the culture and the standards of which we set. And so it's getting that DNA inserted as quickly as possible and getting everybody to align on that and, and understand it. And you can't just say these things once. This has to be, you've got to beat that drum all the time. The way I view it, my cup needs to overflow to the next layer of leadership and so on and so on. You know, I think a lot of companies fake their culture. So you walk around and they tell you all the things that their culture is. But when you kind of look around, you kind of can sniff that out pretty quickly that it's not what they say it is or what they think it is. And I want our culture to be very strong. And it just it reeks of what it is when somebody walks in. They're like, holy cow, what is different here? And, and they can tell that that culture is true. And that's one of the best compliments we get during the interview process is if they ask me a question that they've already asked five other people on the team, they'll say things like, wow, your answer is just like so-and-so's. And that's perfect. It means we're all on the same page and aligned on what that means to us. So my next question, which is the other side of that, what happens when things fall out of alignment? How can a, an organization realign itself if the cultural definition is not right? 
Good question. And I think that that's a critical moment in time for your culture as well as how do you respond? Do you respond? And it's easy for a lot of cultures to ignore those things and say, oh, we'll just keep pushing over here and try to make people, you know, uh, see that. But you do have to address it right away. And, you know, we try to tie our core values back to those things. So if when we give recognition, tie that to one of our, our core values. So somebody might say, Claire did a great job of client XYZ of showing we over me or that we win together. Uh, we get better every day. She attended a seminar and shared it with a team. That's how we get better every day. And so uh, it's, it's more about the encouraging and fostering all those things. And then when the negative thing happens, you've just got to address it right away. It's like I was saying before with the coaching example, you've got to give everybody's got to give that immediate feedback. And with a new team member, you know, that first six months, they're learning what that is. And the team is the most critical part of helping them show the way of what that looks like. Mark, I think the analogy that really stood out for me there when you actually answered Doug's previous question was the team assessment, you know. And I think this is where employees and new team members, but even long tenured team members tend to sometimes forget that work is a mindset. It is not just the place that you go to. It's not just the space that you show up in, in a virtual sense. It is an actual mindset. It's like, you know, going back to like an an old school analogy, it's you're putting your uniform on and walking onto the pitch, you know, it's you're showing up to perform at something. And I definitely see in really high performing employees that that mindset is there. And it's something that they it's like they put their game face on for the day and you see in your underperforming employees that very often it's it's that mindset that's lacking you know they they undervalue the value of a collective set of behaviors and how that actually enhances everybody's performance towards the end goal well said so i think a common mistake that a lot of cultures talk about is only the fun things and yeah. not the accountability side. And so like, yeah, we love to have fun, work hard, play hard. We live that in a very real way. However, we do have high expectations. We want high performance. And so this is a conversation that often happens in the interview process. You know, you think you can jump this high. I want you to jump even higher. And, and that lifelong learner, that get better every day mentality. So we call people team members. It's uh, like I said earlier, words matter to me and I don't care what other people refer to their employees or whatever as, but in our four walls or virtual walls, it's team member. And what we say is team members come to be part of something bigger than themselves and accomplish things as a team. Employees, you know, come to check boxes and check clocks. And so that's one of the first things we do is a rewiring of that terminology for people to say, when you're talking about people in our walls, it's team members. And that's just setting that tone of the expectation that we are different. We have a different expectation. And it's a nice way to kind of differentiate ourselves of how we view that and, and let people have some pride in their work and that mindset of saying, yeah, I'm a team member. I'm part of something bigger than myself. I want to push others. I want people to push me. And our culture has done a great job of weeding people out that don't want that very quickly, which is that took me a while to realize that that was a good thing because you felt like you made a mistake. But then you have some pride in saying, you know what, the culture really eliminated that individual that wasn't the right fit. We made the mistake on the hiring side and the culture really fired them. Yeah, I can't agree more with you there is that for me, 
that's the two faces of attrition numbers. There is an incredibly large cultural component to that where attrition is actually really healthy when viewed through that cultural lens. Because as you say, if your culture is strong enough, you're actually weeding those out that don't align, that don't fit, and that aren't willing to collectively embrace those behaviors that become, you know, the the end result, which is ultimately excellence for customers. Yes. Back to the pro sports team analogy, you know, there's at times you will outgrow individuals and individuals will outgrow your organization. And those are good things. And so you just have to make sure that we're maintaining the best possible talent we can on our team. And obviously you don't want any turnover. Uh, But like you said, there's there's healthy turnover for both parties. Right. And and I always just say I want any individual whenever they leave to look back on their time with us and say, you know what, that's when I grew the most as a professional and as an individual. So I want our culture to push them in all facets of their life to get better. And if they had to move on, I, I wish them the best. And, and you never know, they might come back at some point too when, when the stars align. So you want it to be a healthy process for both parties. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be a positive thing for, for all parties. Obviously, there's you know emotions at play there, um, pride and, and all those things. But it can be a healthy thing. And, and that's what you hope for the, the most with those situations. I'm just going to take a short break to mention our sponsors, Wonder and Pattern. At Wonder, they teach you how to work smarter using tools that enhance collaboration and identify unnecessary barriers, breaking legacy behaviors before they destroy your team's professional productivity and personal health. Pattern is their new product that identifies trends across multiple platforms email, calendars, tasks, video conferencing, workflow management, and it combines them to help each team member learn and grow as individuals, as leaders, and in comparison to their peers in the marketplace overall. You can check them both out at wonder.com. That's W-N-D-Y-R.com. And lastly, just before we rejoin Claire and Michael, if you are finding this podcast of value, please follow us on your platform of choice. Remember, we have new content published twice a month. I want to go down a little bit of a a side path here on this one, because I think this is one of the very often not spoken about topics, particularly in an outward facing like a podcast like we're doing. Yeah, because it's it's a sensitive topic is that growth that you're talking about and that ability of an ex-employee to look back at their tenure inside your organization to go, you know, that was a time in my career when I grew the most, when my boundaries were pushed the most. That doesn't always feel good. (laughs) Right. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And the interesting thing about coming back to that culture actually being the filter is that In my experience, not just in in our current startup, but I mean, in the three previous startups that I, you know, launched and exited out in some shape or form prior to this, it's been my consistent experience is that when you have a strong culture defined and you're having those growth conversations where you're encouraging the person to align to that culture in order to create better customer outcomes they're very often painful conversations because the premise of that conversation is your behavior at present is not enabling the team. It's not growing the customer. And those are hard words to hear. 
you know, it's hard for me to hear those words when the board may be having that conversation with me or when my founder is having that conversation with me. So if it's making me feel uncomfortable and imagine the junior person who's in their very first ever career move, who's having to go through that, that conversation, it's hard. And I think one of the things that I wish colleges and schools were better at prepping people is that mindset of cultural alignment and true collaboration where it's a team that's that's pushing this customer goal forward is often very uncomfortable on an individual. And how do you embrace that discomfort and how do you lean into it? Absolutely. So a couple of sayings here for you. The, the biggest lies we tell are the ones we tell ourselves. So that's like setting ourselves up for failure in some regards, right? Because we we convince ourselves that what we're doing is right. And then somebody comes in and challenges us on that. And human nature is to defend your position. So one of the things we talk about in our culture onboarding, so part of that first 100 days, I meet with every new team member and go over our culture and, and dig into that deep. And one of the things we talk about is with the feedback component. What you have to do is one, every morning, check your ego at the door, right? And two, be open to that feedback when you receive it. And will you be defensive in the moment? Absolutely. That's human nature. We all will. However, when we reflect on it, you're likely going to come to grips and be like, you know what? They're right. And now you also have to give it. And when you give that feedback, so one, you have to be open to receiving feedback. You have to be coachable. But then two, when you give feedback, how are you giving it? And is it, you know, is it a personal attack on Claire, like about a personality trait? Or is it a I should start the conversation saying, Claire, in that meeting, I want to give you some feedback that I think will help you get better. And then Claire should say, love it. Hit me with it. I'm ready. Let's go. And then you provide that feedback. And so it's kind of setting the terms of engagement for that feedback as well so that everybody understands I'm not attacking you personally. That's not where this is coming from. It's not meant to hurt you. It's, It's meant to help you get better. And if we both put that lens on, it can really change that dynamic of that conversation from me being tentative because I can feel you tensing up and getting defensive. So I'm not going to, I intended to give you the full truth, but then I really backed it down and watered it down to about 50% of that. So that whole conversation changed because of that. So it's putting the right boundaries in place. And, and what are that, those rules of engagement for that? And then, you know, also when you receive that saying, okay, Mark, thank you for that feedback. Now I have a challenge for you. Will you help me get better with that? When you notice me doing that, whatever it was, let me know. Give me feedback right away. Or, you know, I want you to hold me accountable to get better, getting better for this. And then working on a plan together of, is that a weekly touch base? Is it an email check or just a, a chat? Whatever it is, making sure that we're both committing to that. Because it's really easy to just kind of dump that feedback on somebody and walk away and be like, oh, I did a good thing. I gave him feedback. But we all have to be committed to that process and making it better. And, and when you have that buy-in from everybody that's where some really real magic can happen. I think. Mm. I think what we've, because um, we through a lot of trial and error in Wonder, have basically developed what we call infinity sessions. And what the infinity sessions is basically our evolution of the very traditional, you know, annual performance management review, where we actually have. Um, you know, we get the person to do their personality profiles, their work style profiles, 
um, their career planning, everything like that. So it's like a deep, like introspective, like a values exercise as well. So they go through each of those exercises at the start of the year and they kind of position where they're going to be in the, in, you know, in their career um, for the year. And then we meet, so each employee meets directly with their direct manager on a monthly basis. And essentially, we actually have a slide in that infinity deck where we like, you know, these are the collective set of behaviors that we've defined are really important to our culture. This is where you're aligning or not aligning to them right now. And then also through the lens of that person's 30, 60, 90 days, you know, so what does their next month look like, the next 60 days, next 90 days? What are those activities that they're really going to have to be focusing on and what behavior shifts and alignments are they going to need to make because the work itself is stretching them or perhaps in some cases it may be a stretch of like really boring work but really critical to customer outcomes so how is that going to impact them you know and I think what we've seen very interestingly because we're actually literally going through an evolution of this right now in the company is when we were a majority millennial and Gen Z um, organization, so, you know, Gen Z in the form of interns and the majority of our full-time employees were younger millennials, the Infinity program was like an absolute hit. They really embraced it, really enjoyed it. Over the past two years, we've gone through an interesting evolution where we actually have much older people in the organization right now, very tenured, very experienced people. And they're actually pushing back on the infinity sessions in a very interesting way in that they're moving back into their comfort zones of this used to just be a yearly performance review. Why are we doing this on a monthly basis? And Tracy and I are finding ourselves having to re-educate an older generation of people who were comfortable with the way things were before and actually helping them to see and understand the benefit of that cultural alignment and how much it can actually do for them just on a personal level, completely outside of the company. No matter where you came from, there's a little bit of a rewiring and re-education because unfortunately, society teaches a lot of poor cultural, corporate culture habits. And people tend to accept things that I don't think are acceptable. Part of this is making them understand that they need to hold everybody accountable to a great culture. So was talking with a new team member recently, and I said, how are things going? And she said, they're, they're going amazing. I, I said, what can I do to help make something better? You know, what, what's a big problem on your plate? And she said, oh, man, there, there's nothing. I'm like, come on, there's got to be something. She's like, well, my past job, it was so bad. It's just so easy to, to you know, appreciate what we have here. And I said, listen, you got to put the bar a little higher here. Come on. And, and so and I talked about the rewiring, you know, and, and so uh, people tend to get comfortable or accepting of those bad habits that other organizations have. And one of the things is, is we can't let that mediocrity mentality sneak into our organization. Complacency, right? That's a huge evil thing that can enter your organization. And so it's just rewiring every new team member. And when they understand that that's true, they get very excited about it because it is different. And it's, yeah, other people say these things, but they don't actually do it. Well, we do it. And so then, then they're like, okay, I thought when you said you had work-life balance, that's what everybody says in the interview process. So I just thought, you know, you're saying that because that's what everybody says. But no, you really have it. And it's like, yes, of course we do. Yes, I also want to play. Like, I don't want to spend all my weekend thinking about you and working with you. Right. And I don't want you either. That's not healthy for any of us. Exactly. 
Yeah. So I think, um, Mark, without directly asking you this question, you actually have answered it. And I wanted to delve into, you know, how do you evolve a culture? You started the conversation with us by saying, you know, culture is a living, breathing thing that needs to evolve. And I think you've just answered it there. It's, it's that rewiring of every new employee that comes in, but also that, you know, coming back to that sports analogy of that constant coaching that kind of happens from the sidelines to align the team, align the team to that goal. I think the only thing I'd add to that, you know, is what's the worst answer somebody could give you of, hey, why do we do it that way? The worst answer is, well, that's the way we've always done it. And yeah. so I always tell people, if you hear that, raise a flag, raise it really fast and really high and really loud, because that's likely an answer that means it's not the best way we could be doing it. So I think we've done a good job for 21 plus years now of constantly changing. And, and so that's part of that cultural thing, too, is we didn't even realize we had a culture until 2007 or 2008 ish. And then we looked around and we're like, huh, I think we've got something kind of cool here. Let's help define it and foster it and grow it. And what that culture was, you know, 12, 14 years ago is much different than it is today. But the roots are still the same. And, and you just expand on that and, and continue to make it better. Uh, what does the team need and want? So back to office has been a hot topic lately. And I think that's a big part of culture. It's also a threat to the culture. And so everybody's evolving to that, right? There's some companies that are forcing it. And that's creating a little bit of a riot scene on the team member side, if you were to force that, or the employee side. So we all have to redefine these things and figure them out. And the last, you know, 18 months has been a huge pressure point on all of us for, for culture because it has to get redefined. Staying with culture, I've read that food plays a central role in, in Spinutech's culture. My question is, how so? And I certainly want to hear about Waffle Wednesday and Margarita Day. Yeah. So first of all, it's important to understand that I love food. I love eating. Uh, I mostly plan my days around when I'm going to eat, and then everything falls in around that. Um, <laughs> but I think that when you break bread with somebody, it changes the conversation. There's a more intimate, personal level that you can go to. So I think that's important to do with team members, with clients, with partners, whatever. It just, it, it makes the difficult conversations easier. And so, you know, Waffle Wednesdays, when we were more in the office, that was a way to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. Margarita Day, you know, where that's uh, Cinco de Mayo or whatever. Um, this actually parlays into what we are calling our return to office plan, which is no forced option, but it's 75 to 100 reasons a year for people to come into the office. A lot of those are going to be re related to food. It could be a potluck, a dress up day, a training day, but food will always be a part of that. Now, we're not in the office, so how does food still play a part in culture to try to mimic some of those things that we used to do, quote unquote, in real life? So we had an all company meeting in May and some people came to the five different locations, but the majority didn't. And so we sent everybody an Uber Eats or a Grubhub gift card so that they could have something delivered to their desk for that meeting. So in essence, we were still eating together. Some of the teams have been doing, you know, breakfast together or coffees together virtually. And so how do you still tie that in and, and try to make that that work? But uh, food has definitely always been a, a central part. Uh, you know, years ago, it was when we were a smaller team, it was easy to bring in birthday treats and uh, celebrate that way with people. But again, I think food just really changes the setting and the tone of conversation 
And so it is, it, it's a critical part to the culture in that sense. Certainly, yeah, it makes 100% sense. Mark, I have to laugh and share with you when I saw that Doug put this question into the questions because Doug and I, you know, compiled the conversation together and he put this question in. Like classically, Doug would put this question in because Doug is an absolute foodie. He's their family chef. And so I wasn't surprised to see it there, but I also rolled my eyes a little bit because in the early days of our company, when we employed quite a few younger millennials, um, there was a saying going around in the company, culture is like burgers and beers, burgers and beers. And, and there's, there was this group of millennials that just kept talking about these damn burgers and beers. And I used to get so frustrated with them because yes, food is such a critical piece of the culture, but it is not the culture. Like yeah. bean bags and foosball tables are not the culture either. And so... <laughs> There was this like little mini group in the company that used to go off for their burgers and beers and like they were on this mission to define the culture and we were like, no, no, you know that no bullshit guy that we have? That's the culture. Right. <laughs> I love that. You just said something I think it's really, really important. You said something that, you know, food is not our culture. One thing that I've said recently is, you know, our office used to be where we came to do work. Now it's a supplement to our work. And the office is not our culture. It's something that can enhance our culture at times. And so same with food. And and so sometimes it's important to define what your culture isn't, like you said, because people can, you know, kind of evolve it in the wrong ways. And so, like, we don't want to be an organization that's just happy hours and drinking. That's not our culture. That's definitely not our culture. But a lot of cultures can turn into that. And they think that that's the only time that, a cultural event can occur. And, and so making sure that there's a lot of uh, diversity in what you're doing to foster that culture from, a, from an event perspective as well. Yeah, so true. Moving on to, I think, something that is really, really core to you guys as an organization. And it's also something that you guys are very proud to share on your social media on a regular basis is your mission is simple, get better every day. I'd like to, you've shared a little bit of it with us in the, in the conversation so far, but I really want you to dig into this with us. Practically, how do you and the team actually do this on a daily basis? Yeah. So get better every day. That means you get better for yourself, your teammates around you and your clients. That's the simple kind of mantra. It's, it's our, uh, you know, Notre Dame football. They've got the, you know, win the day. It's their sign that they tap before they enter the field. This is our mental sign. We're going to tap every morning try to take steps forward as opposed to treading water steps backwards. How do we do it as an organization? We're getting better at that every day as well. But something that I'm super excited that we kicked off in May is what we call our GB24, our Get Better 24. And we were a billable service organization. So we try to allocate roughly 34 hours a week of billable time to each team member. And this varies depending on your role in the organization, but that's the rough number. That leaves roughly 24 hours a month that's non-billable. I think those are the most critical hours of the month. And then we delineate two of those a week to getting better. And that's not a peanut butter spread of, oh, everybody's going to do this training or this, this opportunity. It's what does Doug need? What does Claire need? And you're working with your manager, your direct reports on what they need to get better at. That could be presentation training. It could be certifications for different platforms that we're partnered with or, or work on. Uh, It it could be a lot of different things. But the point is is that we're setting aside 
designated time for every team member to enhance themselves and getting better every day. And so if you think about the power of that over the course of the year, we're investing roughly $15,000 per team member at our current billable rate to do that. And that's not counting the hard costs of training and stuff like that. But one of the biggest things that I think every team member that in the interview process is asking is, what do you do to invest in your team? This is what we're doing. And, and so we're building out that resource library. We're going to have internal conference days where we'll go to our partners and have them speak. And, and, and you know, you kind of choose the track you would want to go on. But the most important part of that, from my perspective, is the team collaboration after that. So building in time for the team to talk about what they've learned and how they're going to deploy that on a daily basis with their themselves, the teams that they work on, and, and so on. And so it's a hard thing to live out. And this is a big mentality thing that everybody has to be that lifelong learner man- mindset. And so I send out a weekly video. I close every single one of those videos with hashtag get better every day. And that's the drum we're going to beat. And it's a fun thing when you hear people state and feedback, Claire got better every day by blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's in annual reviews. It's in the constant feedback that we have on our shout out channels and our live sessions. And that's exciting because that means that the team is bought into it. And it's kind of hard to not get it bought into, in my opinion, because who doesn't truly want to get better? And, and, and if you don't, that's a really strong sign you're not a good fit for us. I'm now moving completely away from Spinutech specifically and culture. And I, I want to ask you a question about you as a leader. You've been in the same industry for 20 years. You're president of the same company you co-founded as a kid in your uni dorm. It's fair to say you've grown up a bit. If you were to talk to other leaders out there, unlike a lot of people, you've been at this, the same thing for 20 years, and that gives you a very unique perspective. What can we learn from you? Yeah, starting when I was a junior in college, obviously very green, learning a lot on the job, just, you know, the the hard knocks, right? That, that's what you learn from it. I think you learn the most from your failures than you do the victories. When you're winning, things are easy. But when you fail, you are forced to reflect and, and look at, you know, what, what did I do? Well, you have to ask yourself hard questions. And that's where you have to be cautious not to tell yourself those lies, right? And so, I mean, it's just all the hard knocks over the course of 20 years. I'm by no means perfect. And I'll tell the team, listen, we all have to be the TSA. See something, say something. And that goes for me as well. And so I need that constant feedback as well on, on how people need to be led and, and what they want. One of the things I've learned, though, is, is my gut is really, really good. And so when you fight that feeling and don't trust it and then you regret it, you remind yourself that. And I've probably gotten way better from, let's say, those first five years of not trusting it and making the wrong decisions to now having a ton of trust in what my gut tells me and then acting on that. I probably used to be slower at making decisions because you were so cautious of failing that you would pause and not make a decision. And that's the worst decision you can make is not making decisions. So I believe I am much faster to make a decision now, even if it's not the right decision and being okay with that. And so what professional athlete is perfect all the time? As CEOs, we're not going to be perfect all the time and we have to be okay with that. But a quick decision, a fast decision is much better than indecision. And so teams want that as well. One of my favorite questions to ask a team member when I'm sitting with them that that reports to me is, what do you need from me? What can I help you with? And letting them know that, you know, I can get my hands dirty. I probably used to 
not think of it that way, but you know, I want to help every person and pour into them as much as I possibly can. So even a leadership role, obviously, when you start with two or three people and then 10 and then 20, now 170, my day-to-day has changed as well. And I'm, I'm adapting and changing to that constantly as well. But that's part of the fun from my perspective is, one, I want to be the best leader that I can be. And two, that is going to change constantly, which is, which is tough. Everybody's change is tough for everybody, but uh, I embrace that and, and look forward to just pouring into the team as, as best I can. Mark, we've actually shot through our time together. I've got time really just for my, my last question. I'm going to go back into the cultural space. As you just sort of alluded to, you know, you've been doing the same, doing the same thing for 20 years, but basically you've gone from a, a post.com startup to a multi-state company to Google Premier Partner to one of the top 500 US fastest growing companies to now a multinational. So how have you kept that culture intact as you've scaled up? You can't create a culture, set some guideposts and say, all right, here it is. Now we're done. You have to every step of the way really foster it and push on that and keep people aligned to that and defend it. And that's one of the things we tell every new team member too, is, you know, you have to protect the culture and and really foster it. It doesn't mean that it can't change and evolve. We love that feedback and those ideas, but there are certain areas we're just not going to change. But if you just want to leave it alone, it's going to turn into something not great. If you want to make it great and keep it great, you have to invest in it constantly. So we have team members that are dedicated to that. I put a bunch of my time on it as part of the uh, merger. That was one of the things that I said to Kevin, our new partner, of saying, hey, this is a non-negotiable for me. I need to own culture. I need to, to be the champion for that. And so that's how passionate I am about it. That's why I still want to do the final interview with every team member, which is a little bit crazy at the size we're at, but that's how much I care about it and want to protect it and, and make sure that we're fostering it. So um, it's an investment, but I believe it's one that will pay off really, really well in the quality of team members that we have. And that's the feedback we get from our clients that we interact with too, is they really, one of the best things we hear about our team is, man, they're just smart and really kind. That is just such an awesome compliment to hear from a client, one of our partners, whatever, that, that there's a very consistent feel from our team. But that's also taken a lot of very intentional effort to make sure we don't let the wrong individual slip through that could change that. I mean, in essence, it's such an important part of, of what you do. You, you have to be hands-on. You can't pass that off to someone else. Right. And when you have a leader that is that passionate about it, I think it's easier for people to fall in as opposed to saying, okay, these are the things that we say our culture is, but leadership doesn't follow those same rules. You know, the best way to get the team to buy into it is seeing that the whole leadership team is also 100% bought in on on those values and and, and the way that we view culture as well. Mark, one of the things that I can share, I mean, because you guys are a customer of ours, I can definitely share with you that we've actually gotten similar feedback. Um, One of the things that we found very refreshing working with you guys as a customer has been your team's forthrightness. We have a very forthright culture. Um, You heard me allude to our no bullshit guide. You know, be forthright in your willingness to praise people, but also be forthright in your willingness to show people on the team where they can be better because it just helps everybody. And it's so refreshing when we meet a client company who works in the same way because we actually do find it very difficult 
to work with companies who don't share that same forthright culture because naturally there's a cultural tension there. There's a nuance in the two cultures that don't necessarily align very well. So yeah, to what you've just shared, you guys definitely are living and breathing that. That's great to hear. Thank you. Okay. That brings us to the end of our conversation. (laughs) That was great. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Mark, so did we. If you were ever in doubt as to the importance of a strong company culture, well, now you know. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, we would appreciate that you follow us on your preferred platform and share with your friends and colleagues. Just a reminder for more information about Wonder and their new product pattern, you can visit their website. That's WNDYR.com. And so as always from me, Doug Folks and Chaos and Rocket Fuel, stay safe and we'll see you soon.